You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles this afternoon. We open, first of all, the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father and a foolish son grief to his mother. Proverbs 13, verse 1, a few pages later. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. And chapter 15, verse 20. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And then finally, chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. And of course, so we could go on citing more references in the book of Proverbs to children and parents and the relationship between them. Let's now turn to the gospel according to Luke, beginning at verse 41, where we catch a glimpse of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly parents. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church has summarized it and confesses this in Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
How many times have you read, recited, heard, studied the Ten Commandments? I'm sure for some of you it's ten times, for others it's a hundred times. Probably for some of you it's thousands, maybe thousands of thousands of times. But then there's a question that arises, and the question in connection with all of this is this. What are the Ten Commandments really all about? Of course, you'll say to me, well, they're about laws, precepts, ordinances, commandments, do's and don'ts. Well, true, but not completely true. You see, really what the Ten Commandments are all about is about one word, and the word is relationship. The Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to God and our relationship to our neighbor. The first part deals with our relationship to God in terms of God's person, God's worship, God's reputation, God's day or God's time. The second part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to one another under the umbrella of God's grace. And of course, they address matters of authority, life, sexuality, property, speech, and desires. And if you look at the whole picture, then you see pretty well every pertinent area of life is covered by these Ten Commandments that speak about, first, our relationship to God, and secondly, our relationship to one another. And of course, that brings us to the Fifth Commandment, which opens the second part of the law, And really, the fifth commandment, you can, of course, say it's about children, it's about parents, it's also about authority. The theme of the sermon is what to do with authority, but we could just as well have made the theme of the sermon what to do with parents and what to do with children, as well as grandparents and grandchildren. And so, this afternoon... We're going to listen, we'll take the light of God's word also as we confess it in the Lord's Day before us this afternoon, and we'll hear about children and about parents and about all of us together as members of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, beloved, for openers, notice this particular commandment, this fifth commandment, is very specifically addressed to children who are children. It's interesting, you maybe didn't catch that on Christmas morning. I asked the children to sing. And only the little children sang. But you know, you're all children, right? Otherwise you wouldn't be here. At least I don't know how you'd be here if you weren't children. So really, we're all children. So we're all being addressed in this particular commandment. And of course, we understand and interpret, especially the younger children who are still growing up, maturing, who are in particular being addressed. But but actually, all of us are being addressed. 
And we're being addressed by the command to honor our father and our mother. Now, of course, that raises the question, why does this particular commandment in the second part of the Ten Commandments come first? Why not, you shall not kill, or you shall not steal, or you shall not commit adultery? Why honor your father and your mother? Is that really so important? Well, I think the answer is yes. It is very, very important. As a matter of fact, you can say that this particular commandment, which deals with our relationship to one another, is among the most fundamental of all commandments that God gives for human interaction. Because no matter what happens today, and there's a lot happening in the family and in marriage today, but no matter what happens, the family still remains the fundamental social unit in our society. It's the most basic building block of all. And you can say, as the family goes, so goes the nation. And you can discover that rule time and time again in history as you study the ups and downs of civilization. As the family goes down, the nation goes down. So the family is is fundamental. This relationship between parents and children is, is fundamental. And, of course, it's the most basic because this is what we are born into. This is where we are molded and and shaped and disciplined and taught. And, indeed, this is something that has repercussions for all of our life. You know, sometimes I meet old people. In fact, a lot of times I meet old people. But it strikes me that sometimes... People can be very old, and they're still mourning the fact in their old age that they had such a rotten, excuse the expression, childhood. Mourning the fact that they never connected with their father and mother and still feeling the negative effects of that in old age. And conversely, I can meet old people and they can talk about their youth and it's a time of happiness, a time in which to reminisce about, a time in which to revel because of all the good things that were happening in the parental home and in the parental marriage and in the family and with the siblings. So what happens in our families determines so much of what will happen in the lives of our children. Family's basic. And so it's not surprising that the second part of the law starts, right, with the family. And that the second part of of the law says honor. Notice it doesn't say love. It doesn't say obey. It says honor. And God has a purpose in that as well, because basically what he's telling us as children is, you've got to take your parents and you've got to elevate them. Or if you like, you've got to take your parents and, and in your heart and in your attitude, you need to put them on a pedestal. 
You need to see them as special, as unique, as different. As having a singular role in your life. And why are parents special? Well, I don't think that needs a rocket scientist to figure out, right? Parents are special because without parents, you and I wouldn't be here. I still remember as a university student that John Diefenbaker, Prime Minister of Canada, came to university, Carleton University in Ottawa, and he talked about and against abortion. And a student stood up at the end of his speech and said, Sir, why are you so against abortion? And Diefenbaker said, as only Diefenbaker could, My son, if I was in favor of abortion, you would not be here. That's the reality. Family is unique because that's where God has ordained we be born from and into. It is a special biological natural place, if you like. But family is not only special because in the context of family and marriage, God gives us life, normally speaking, but also because God takes parents and uses them as instruments, as agents in his hand. We don't always see our parents as agents of God, do we? But we should. Those parents are there to, as I said earlier, to mold us and to to shape us and to help us to see and to perceive and to weigh and to discern and to make sure that we walk in the ways of life and not in the ways of death. They're to help us, holding our hands, sometimes pushing, prodding, at other times disciplining us so that we get the picture, so that we come to know the way which is life and glory and blessing and not the way of death and destruction. So parents are agents. We honor them because of that as well. And also, beloved, this this particular commandment is not only related to the fact that parents and the home is unique and that Parents are agents of God, but, but also simply to the fact that this is what God commands of us. We've read a bit from the book of Proverbs, and you can read so much more throughout that particular book of the Bible about the relationship between parents and children. And it's very obvious, God commands us doesn't matter whether you like it. It doesn't matter whether you understand it. It doesn't matter whether you appreciate it. All of that is secondary. The point is, God commands you to love your parents. That's the bottom line. And we need to keep our eye on the bottom line. So that's the parental position. And what are we to do then with respect to this parental position? Well, once again, the book of Proverbs says, and surely if you analyze all of those passages about children and parents, the word that keeps on popping up time and time again is listen. Listen, my son. 
You really hear what I'm saying? Do you get it? Do you understand it? And of course that raises the question, you know, also all of you children here, how, how well do you listen? In one ear, out the next? Or you let your parents go on and on and on and you say, mm-hmm, yep, 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 and then you forget about it? Proverbs is very clear that the key to a well-developed childhood has to do with learning and taking over the ability to listen to what your parents are saying. And if you don't listen, the consequences are also spelled out. And the consequences, beloved, are pretty well all disasters. Children who don't listen bring grief to their father. They bring grief to their mother. They bring grief to themselves. And how often haven't you seen that? How often aren't you perhaps as parents frustrated? You... You're trying to get through to your son or to your daughter or to both and you, you, you tell them and you, you tell them again and again and, and you sense right away they're not listening. I could just as soon talk to the wall. They're not hearing. It's really frustrating because a lot of this is, is important stuff. If you don't listen, if you don't hear, you're courting disaster. And the pieces can be picked up later, and they are. Children growing up who can't seem to live life except... By courting disasters, can't form relationships, can't implement proper judgments or make proper judgments. So much misery seeps out of the pores of those who don't listen. But of course, it's not just a matter of children listening, it's also a matter of, of obeying, right? Sometimes children listen and and they hear it very well, but they don't obey. They don't walk the walk at all. And that too brings with it its its frustration and its, its pain and its problems. No matter how often you tell them. They say they understand it, they say they get it, but they don't do it. And they do something else. It's so contrary. And you know, Scripture says very clearly that, that all of this is, is symbolic and is a reality of, of, of a life that is courting serious disaster. You know, in Scripture, what does it say you do with a stubborn and rebellious son? A son who doesn't listen, who has a big mouth, refuses to obey. Fills his life with endless parties, sex, and drunkenness, and what have you. It talks about taking him to the elders, sitting in the gate. 
and the people of the city coming together and stoning him to death. Now that's shocking. Absolutely shocking. And when we read that, we're thankful we're living in New Testament times or post-New Testament times and not in Old Testament times. And we think, well, this is something from the past that doesn't apply anymore today, but realize very well that, that this is an expression of God's will with regard to His displeasure upon the lives of those who do not listen and who do not obey. And who use and abuse their parents. So children, honor your parents. Now, of course, I know there will be some of you sitting here, yes, true, but, but, why should I love my father? Look at what he's done. Or why should I love my mother? Look at how she acts. Or, or why should I love, honor, and obey my parents in light of how they have conducted their life? And I know there are a lot of bitter children out there, just like there are a lot of hurting parents out there. But that still doesn't negate the ordinance of God. You know, think about it this way. What would happen if we only love the lovable? Or better yet, what would happen if God only loves the lovable, the deserving, the respectable, the refined, the conforming, and no one else? Where would we be? I think we'd all be in deep trouble. Because you see, none of us, none of us are are deserving of the love of God. And when you when you recognize that, that that God lavishes his love uh, upon you, even though you are so utterly, despicably undeserving, then maybe you have still in your heart a little bit of love and a little bit of honor left for that parent who bungled so badly. I'm not saying excuse the wrong that parents do. But you know, you can take the wrong that your parents have done to you and you can keep it in your heart and you can keep it festering and you can... Dwell on it for the rest of your life and it will make your life bitter and sour and unhappy. And some people do. They never get over the wrongs that others have done to them, especially parents. They always carry a chip on their shoulder all through life. What a way to live. It's not God's way. He doesn't want His children to live like that. 
Then, beloved, if in this commandment we have, first of all, a word to children, we also have a word to parents. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to note, when you look at both what Paul writes in Ephesians as well as Colossians, how he ties the two together, in Ephesians 6, verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord. And then a few verses later, he says, Fathers, don't, and I love the word, exasperate your children. Don't drive your children up the wall. And it's the same pretty well in Colossians. First, he says, children, obey your parents and everything, for that's what pleases God. And then the next verse, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children, or you're going to discourage them. Don't frustrate them unnecessarily. So you see this relationship of parents and children, and also in this commandment relates not just to children, also to parents and, and when it comes time to look at parents in connection with this commandment, then, then perhaps the best scripture passage, at least one of the best scripture passages about how parents can best act as parents, is a passage that comes from a bachelor, the Apostle Paul. Paul was never married, as far as we know. Paul had no physical children. He had a spiritual son in Timothy, but he also had thousands of other spiritual children And he has them even today. But it's interesting. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the verses 7 to 12. That's on page 1838. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12. And there the Apostle Paul writes, and realize, of course, he's writing this under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, I think that's great, wonderful parental advice and counsel. You'll notice that Paul compares himself both to a mother as well as to a father in this passage. And notice the order. First of all, he speaks about love in verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. It shows you Paul isn't afraid to verbalize his affection, his, his love for the believers in Thessalonica and elsewhere. He doesn't hold back when he describes how much they they mean to him. He's not distant with his emotions. He's very much on the surface. And I think that's 
Kind of a reminder, isn't it? As parents, how... Not only how much do we love our children, but how do we show and verbalize that love? We don't always do that, do we? Sometimes it's hard for our children to figure out just how much we care about them. And that's wrong. Our children shouldn't have to guess about our love, about our our care, about our concern, about our our compassion for them and their well-being. We need to make it obvious. I point you, for example, to God the Father in that parable of the prodigal son. When that prodigal son, that no-good-for-nothing son, comes back home, the father could have stood there at a distance and watched him coming and looked down his long nose at him and sneered. So, you finally put two and two together, eh? You finally smartened up? You come home because you figured out it's best here after all? You want a free lunch, right? Pretty human reactions, right? Instead, the scripture says the father saw him coming at a distance and the father ran to meet him and to embrace him and to put a ring on his finger and to host a huge party. God, the Father, in other words, isn't distant. He's not hands off. You don't have to guess. Does he love me? Love me not? Love me? Love me not? It's obvious. It speaks volumes in this parable, and it speaks volumes throughout the Scriptures. How great is the Father's love for us. And how great... Our love should be for our children as well. But you know, there's also something else in verse 8, and that is, Paul says, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. I think it's obvious that that Paul is saying, you know, our lives were an open book. They, They were transparent. We didn't hide anything from you. We didn't hold anything back. Our children should be able to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that we just mouth, it's also something that we seek to implement. And that should be obvious in the choices we make, in the decisions, in the kind of household and family that we run in the kind of standards that we set, in the kind of conduct that we display. Can your children see by your walk of life that you're a child of God? In the third place, notice there's also here in the next verse, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone when we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul's not only talking here about transparency and about love, he's also talking about diligence. These 
or he as a parent, as a spiritual parent, spent a lot of time, a lot of time working with his hands so that he could work with the gospel. And he worked really hard. These days, we, we talk about quality time, we talk about quantity time. I, I think it's a poor distinction. It's time. We need to spend time with our children. We need to be there for them. It's not just about how good a time. It's not just about how much time. But we need to be constantly interacting with their lives because we're concerned about their well-being and about their future and about their life. We need to be diligent as parents. And Paul would also say you need to be authentic. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. The Apostle Paul calls upon God, and he calls upon fellow believers to be witnesses of how authentic their Christian walk and talk really is. You've heard it as well, parents who say to their children, don't do what I do, just do what I say. Terrible piece of advice. Because if you can't say to your children, do as I do and not just as I say, you have no credibility. Children have special noses for phony parents. And if you're a phony parent, masquerading as a Christian but not really a Christian at all, they smell you out. And then it's no wonder that children act out when they sense that mom and dad aren't really, truly committed. They talk a lot, but they don't do a thing. So authenticity. But you know, there's also something else, and probably that's a good note in which to, to bring this part of Paul's writing to a close, and that is the fact of encouragement. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. You know how Paul is trying to build them up and boost them up and, and give them hope and encouragement and light and optimism and zeal? And we should take our cue from that as well. Encourage your children. Positive. You know, sometimes I hear children come home with a report card and it isn't all A's. I don't think it's important whether it's A's, B's, or C. What's important is are they trying to do the best they possibly can? If you can give them A for effort, 
then all the rest of it is secondary. So you encourage your children with the gifts that, that God has given to them, and you tell them, I know you can do it. You've got the ability. Work with it. Develop it. Use it. Employ it. You can do it. Build them up. God has given you these gifts. Don't let them die. Don't let them shrivel. Use them to his praise. And to your blessing. And so, beloved, we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul, this apostolic bachelor. At the same time, I also realize, of course, that as you hear Paul write and speak, also even today, there is a sense in which you say, well, yeah, that's all very true, but I've been a parent, I'm now a grandparent, or I'm not yet a grandparent or whatever, but, but you know, this parenting business is really hard. It takes so much energy, so much time, so much dedication, and that's, that's the reality. And in the process, there's also the awareness that so often as parents, we drop the ball. We don't love as much as we should. We're not as obedient as we should be. We're not as consequent as we're called upon to be. We're not as honest and as transparent and as positive and upbeat as we should be in the lives of our children. There's so many things in which we fall short. When you get to be my age, you wish, in a sense, you could do it all over again. And maybe you could do a better job. Maybe not. It's hard to be a perfect child. It's hard to be a perfect parent. We need to reconcile to that fact, but not stay there. You need to go a step further. You need to say to yourself, I I haven't been a perfect child and I'm not a perfect parent and I never will be perfect, but, but, you know, I I walk in, in humble dependence on my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I know He is perfect and He will cover all of my sins and He will furnish the forgiveness I need. And he will also take so often my mistakes and and bring them to a good outcome. So in all of this parenting and all of this growing a business, we need to walk close and attached to our Savior. He forgives. He makes a new day possible. And enables us to go on in spite of our shortcomings. And so, beloved, we live in obedience to the fifth commandment as parents and children. And, of course, this particular commandment deals with more than parents and children. I mentioned earlier it deals with the general subject of authority which underlies all of this. And what happens in the home between parents and children to some extent also is something that should happen in other realms of life as well. Not only in the home, but also in church and school and society at large. 
in the relationship between teachers and students and parishioners and elders and citizens and elected representatives. All of those relationships are governed by the fifth commandment. We're called upon to obey and to respect and to honor those in authority over us, just like we honor our parents. So what we learn in the home is something that needs to spread his wings into all the other areas of life. Hopefully, if you're a good son, you'll also be a good student. And you'll be a good church member. And you'll be a good citizen. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. And you'll live long in the land the Lord your God gives you. Now, don't take that literally, but catch the principle at stake here. There is a blessing, a lifelong blessing. When we walk in humble obedience to this fifth commandment. And may God give us the grace and the mercy to do that every day. And may it be that when you get old, you can, like the author of Proverbs, praise the Lord for the blessing of children and grandchildren. The crown for the aged. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you to thank you for this fifth commandment. To thank you, Lord, that in the midst of this life where there is so much confusion when it comes to family and the role and the position of children and parents, that we still have your wisdom to guide us. We pray, Father, that we may seek out that wisdom, that we may apply that wisdom and that we may reap the blessings and the benefits from that wisdom. For Father, we know that you want our lives to be lives of blessing, lives of wholeness and happiness, lives that, in the midst of a broken world, bring joy and thankfulness. Help us, Father, every day, through the power of your Spirit, based on the great work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.